Welcome to the Hanover Valley Podcast, a ministry of Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church. We are located at 133 Carlisle Street in downtown Hanover, Pennsylvania. Check out the rest of our website at hanovervalley.org. Thank you for listening. Turn to Mark chapter 8. We're looking at another segment of this biography of Jesus written by Mark. Uh, we're calling them snapshots in the life of Christ, little vignettes, little, little uh, pericopes, as it were. More words. I remember I was in my first year of grad school, and we were put into little uh, um, study groups <coughs> led by upperclassmen, and the first time I ever heard that word was in that circle, and we were looking at the Bible, and he says, turn to such and such, I want us to look at a pericope from the scriptures on this thing, and I'm going, I turned to the guy next to me, just sort of rolled my eyes, I've never heard that, had never heard that word in my life. And you, and there are some of you probably have never heard that word this morning. I'm sorry. So, it's a short story, pericope. It's a cut. It's a little vignette. You've heard vignette, a little tiny. And a moosh bouche, right? You've heard that. It's a small little bite of something. Let's look at this small little bite out of the life of Christ in Mark. Uh, chapter 8, start of verse 1, read down a few paragraphs as we go. Follow along if you can um, in the passage as we go. Let's, pray. Let's uh, follow. Uh, during those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come from a long distance. Jesus, his disciples answered, But where in this remote place can, can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground, and when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they did so. They had, a few, they had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them, and also he told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present. And having sent them away, he got into a boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back in the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, Is it because we have no bread? 
Aware of this, of, of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but, see, but you do not see and ears uh, but fail to hear? Don't you remember when I broke the five, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve. They replied, and when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of, peep, of pieces did you pick up? They, they answered, seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? This is God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning and um, help us to understand, Father. Help us to understand. Help us to understand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, my sister's at the beach this week with her family. The reason I know that is because, um, well, I know that because she told, she told us they were going um, in the matter of conversation over the weeks, but I'm never, I'm never sure when, when they're going. I mean, I can't keep all the dates. I can barely keep my own calendar together. So they're at the beach, but I happen to know they're at the beach because I saw a snapshot of them at the beach on Instagram. And it was a snapshot. My, my, sister, my sister is really great at, at, taking, uh, at p- taking pictures. She's, she, um, she loves to take pictures, and we love, watch, we love seeing the pictures she takes. We almost sort of rely on her taking pictures anymore at family functions. You know, so, oh, it'd be great to have gotten that. Oh, Beth, you know, Beth got it. You know, and we, can't, we, we make fun of Beth. Uh, at least I make fun of Beth because um, uh, we say that if we put all of her pictures of an event together, it actually turns into a video. That's how many she takes of what's going on. But the reason I know they're at the beach this week is because I saw a picture on Instagram of her and, and her daughter, Brittany, is the one I'm following on Instagram, so I know that she put a picture of them. And I don't know if you do that when you go to the beach. You take a picture, like when you're at the beach, you, take, you all go down the beach in, like, jeans and white T-shirts, and you take a picture of the beach, or, you, or it's blue, or it's red, or black, and whatever, and you're all kind of coordinated. I don't know if you do that. Um, we've done that on occasion. And we, we take, or we, or we go down there and we just take a, a, a picture. And we do it, this, we, take, we take the same kind of picture every year. Why do you do that? Why do you, why do we, why do we, I mean, if, if, why do we take the same picture? Why do we, why do people send and keep and save the same picture at the same location, but at a different time? Doesn't that, is there any, why do we do that? Is there, is there some reason for doing that? I mean, do we, I mean, wh- why, what's the purpose behind that? It's not like anybody's, you know, it's, it's all basically going to look the same, same people, same setting. But, but we do it because it, it, does, it does mark the passage of time, and it does show modest differences in there. You know, there's one year we took the picture, and we had, we had our dog, uh, Maggie, at the time. And then another year... We went, we went back, and we didn't have Maggie in the picture because she wasn't there. And then one year, we had the picture where it was just the five of us, and then we had one year, it was the picture that we had a sixth person in there. And she's been in those pictures ever since now. And then, and then there's going to be pictures coming up where we're going to have a, a seventh person in there, and he's going to be in those for a while. Um, 
The reason I mention that is because Mark is giving us these snapshots in Jesus' life, and here's he's take, giving us another picture. It just seems like the same picture, doesn't it? We just, not, not too many weeks ago, we just did a picture like this of 5,000 people Jesus, Jesus fed. Basically the same way, but with the same disciples, same situation, and same outcome. And yet, not too long later, Mark says, well, let me include, I want to include another one of those. Why does he want to include another and there's a, there's a temptation for us to go back and go, well, what's the, why is this? Let me skip this. Is this, and some people, some commentators over the year have gone, well, Mark was confused, um, and the, the gospel writers, you know, uh, he, they, he got his data mixed up, and it's the same story, just with some different numbers, and, and so it's the same. So it's, it's just a doubling over the, it's a, it, they, they, uh, they put a carbon copy of it with some minor changes in there. And that's a way for people to think of it, to understand why there's two so closely separate, so closely connected in the scriptures themselves. When that's, act, that's actually the, the dumbest reason. Mark got confused. He, he put a carbon copy in there. He, he, was, he didn't edit properly in some fashion. I mean, now, granted, humans might do that, but God's the ultimate editor of this whole, of this whole thing. And it, it, it's, it's in here to show us something. I think part of the reason it's in here to show us something is um, is that we don't get the lesson the first time. Do you, do you get the lesson the first time? We, when, our kids were, when our kids were younger, we always wanted, we, 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 uh, we had a phrase it, when they were younger. Um, you check my daughter Kate's here so she can, she can tell you that we wanted them to be what we called first timers. And what we meant by that was, is when you're asked to do something, do it the first time. Don't wait. There's no counting to three. There was no counting to three in my house. The reason there was no counting to three is because if you, get, if you can get it at three, why can't you get it at one? And if you get it at one, why can't you get it when you just get asked? Empty the trash, Tyler. There was no... Now, when I grew up, I grew up on counting to three. And I actually... It was beyond... It, was, it wasn't actually three. Because it was, you know, it was, you know... Um, just the t- I, it wasn't a matter of numbers. It was a matter of tone of voice. I knew when it was time to get the trash done. <laughs> and it was just when my, mother, when my mother was like, you know, and usually it was Robert, Drew, Dareth, and the tone was up here, and she's yelling, and Dad might have been on the verge of coming home. And so, but do you really, do we get, are we ever first-timers? I remember, I remember, um, when I was in high school, um, I went to, a, I went to a, a, a math and science high school that was citywide at the time in Baltimore City. Uh, and so we had, we, we had math coming out of our ears every semester. I mean, I was taking, I was taking Algebra 1 and Geometry at the same time. 
And then I took, I think, college algebra and trigonometry at the same time. And so we were having two, we had two maths, two high-level maths at the same time. And so I was coming, I was, uh, and I was, I was a math, I mean, you couldn't get into the school unless you had some math ability. So I had some math understanding, but algebra was blowing my mind when I first took algebra. I don't know if you had anybody, to, you know, and I'm not going to get into the whole algebra. I ended up, I, I have a math degree. So that shows you how, the, that shows you how it went. The end of the story is I'm a math degree, but I didn't start. I didn't start there. I started first semester, ninth grade, trying to figure out algebra, which is the gateway to everything else. I, algebra confused me. There were letters in the, in the numbers now. Wait a minute. When I, was in, when I was in junior high, it was just all numbers, and that was hard enough, and the dividing, and then square rooting, and... and what is that? Okay. But now we're throwing letters in there. What the, how do you, how do you deal with the letters? And so there's X squared plus three Y plus three X plus 24 equals 17. And now, okay, solve for X. Uh, and my mind, my, my aunt, my aunt, she's actually my cousin, but my aunt Vicki, um, she was a, she was a math whiz, had a math degree, and was familiar with all this. And so I remember one Saturday, I, I, was, I was failing algebra. And my mother got me together with Aunt Vicky, and we spent hours. And she went over problem after problem after problem. And we're doing the same thing. It was, it was x squared plus 3, x equals 17, or plus 17 equals 24. And then it was, it was x squared plus 5, x plus... Equals, it was just different problems, same format. And she's showing me. She's showing me how it operates. We move this over to here. And the way we can move this over here is we subtract it on both sides. And then we add it, and then we divide it, and then we get the X. And I'm following, and my brain is still every, was just completely, we went out, we were there for several hours. And then, like deep into the hours, it, something happened. Deep in the hour, she'd gone through dozens and dozens and dozens of lessons about how the problems work, showing me. And, it, and I remember saying to her, oh, my goodness, you put all the letters on one side and you put all the royal numbers on the other side of the equal sign. She says, yes. That was the end. Because, I, because after dozens and dozens of times, I finally got the lesson. I finally understood what she'd been trying to show me for hours on a Saturday. You put all the letters on one side, you put all the numbers on the other side, and then you divide. And I got it. Now, here's the thing. Weeks and weeks of failure, because my professor had been doing the same thing, Weeks and weeks of failure, I had been reading the book and doing the homework poorly for weeks and weeks, weeks and weeks of failure, hours and hours of instruction, painstaking processes to get one thing that had to do with math. 
That's an illustration that we as humans, we do not learn quickly. I don't think I'm different than anybody else. Some of you say I'm different. But I don't think I'm different in that respect. I think we all, I think it takes a while for us all to learn anything. I think, and, and that's, that's even just, that's just even something as it relates to math. One lesson about math. But, but as things get more complicated and more intricate, it takes a while. And then, and then add into that a relational context. I've been married to the same woman for 35 years, a little more than that. And I don't understand a thing about her. I mean, I do, some. But the thing is, it's been changing for 35 years. It's a moving target. And I'm as much a moving target, probably worse. And I'm, and I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to understand. And that's, that's at a relational level. And so one, one minute. Now, wait a minute. I did, I did it the right way, didn't I? Well, yeah, but you didn't do it. It didn't quite. This is a different time. I don't mean that every time. I just mean that some of the time. Well, which time is the time? Which does it mean this time and which does it mean the other time? I don't know. It all depends. Well, what does it depend on? It depends on... It just depends on what it depends on. That's relationships. So we're, so we're not good there either. And Jesus is trying to teach, Jesus is trying to teach his disciples about himself and about the gospel and about what salvation requires and about the condition of the human heart and about what it means to have an interaction with an infinite God. And so it's not surprising <laughs> that they don't get it the first time, or the first ten times, or the first hundred times. And it's not surprising if you don't get it that way either. And that's why it's not surprising that Mark throws in the same story, this, well, not the same story, but the same looking picture two different times. And you're thinking, you think to yourself, I mean, I don't know if you thought of this when you're reading through this. We just, didn't we do the 5,000? Are, are we doubling down? Well, no, it was two stories. Happened the same way. One was 5,000. One was 4,000. And Jesus asked the disciples, let's feed the people. And the first time they go, how are we going to feed the people? And then he feeds the people. And they're amazed. And they pick up lots of leftovers. And then this time, 4,000. He says to the disciples, let's feed the people. And they go, how are we going to feed the people? <laughs> and then you go, and then in the end he says, don't you get it? <laughs> and you're thinking, don't they get it? <laughs> no, they don't get it. And if you think they should have gotten it, if you look down your nose at them for not getting it, I caution you, go easy. Go easy. Go easy on them because we're going to need to go easy on you sometime. And it's going to be sooner than you think. Could be this afternoon. Let me break it up in three pieces for you. I want to look at three things real quick. I want to see Jesus' compassion. I want to talk about the, this business with signs that he's talking about, the, the, the 
the generation asking for signs. And I want to talk about uh, the the best way to think of it is just how we're blind to it. The compassion that I see in here, Jesus says to the people, Jesus says uh, uh, about the people, he says, I have compassion for these people. The reason that he wants to feed them is he has compassion for them. The thing about Jesus is he's not just interested in our spiritual welfare. He's not just interested that that we get the lesson. He's not just interested in saving us in some in some, holistic fa- in some holistic fashion. He's interested in every aspect of our lives. He's interested in the mundane, regular, everyday, tangible stuff like food and drink. Jesus wants, he's, he's got that kind of compassion for us. He's concerned for every aspect of our brokenness, every aspect of our, of our frailty in every capacity. When mankind broke itself, when Adam and Eve broke it, just like we break it every day, we broke it spiritually, cutting ourselves off from God. We broke ourselves psychologically, cutting ourselves off from ourselves with guilt and shame and fear and worry. We broke ourselves by cutting ourselves off from each other in relationships. Now we're at war. We're at conflict. We don't easily connect. We push each other away rather than drawing each other in, just like Adam and Eve, the woman that he was writing poetry about before the fall, he's throwing under the bus after the fall. And then the world just broke down physically too. The consequences, the, we cut ourselves off from the world, from things. Now, now it hurts to give birth. Now it's painful. The life, I'm giving life to something. Why does that hurt? It was that wasn't supposed to hurt. It wasn't supposed to be painful. It was supposed to be beautiful. And now it's broken. We broke it, and now it's now we're cut off from that physicality. From that's so we see the conflict and the pain and the and the and the mess of it all. And 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 work wasn't supposed to be hard. It was supposed to be beautiful and wonderful and 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 life giving. And and we were supposed the investment we made was supposed to produce 10, 20, 50, 100 fold more with the small little investment. And now because of the brokenness, because of the sin, everything now I put in effort and it gives me a a percentage out, a small fraction of the effort we bear. And and really what produces, it produces, what happens most when I do work is it it doesn't produce anything. It produces produces what I don't want it to produce. Thorns and thistles. Physically, metaphorically, all all around. So you see how broken the world is in all those capacities? And when Jesus comes, he's not, when Jesus is here, he's not simply interested in healing the spiritual part of that. And we see that in stories like this. We see that when he's healing people. We see that when he's talking about mending cultures and mending races. We see that when he's when he's talking about someone who's troubled of mind and of, and of heart and that he wants to bring peace to their soul. He's not just concerned for spiritual forgiveness and forgiveness of sins. Yes, centrally, that is a problem. That is where the brokenness is. But he's concerned about the entire human experience. That's how much compassion he has. And we see that evidenced by him wanting to feed people. The thing that, don't, don't skip over the fact um, he says, I want to feed the people. If we send them away now, they're going to, fa- they're going to pass out on the way home. 
Some of them. Can pass out of my home. I don't want them to do that. They've been with me three days. Did it occur to you when we read that? What's he been doing for three days? What have they been doing for three days? What in the world have they been doing for three days? What would make you, would you go to a conference for three days with no food? If Jesus were there, you might. You might forget you haven't eaten because it's just so many miracles happening. And every word he says, you're, like, you're wrapped, you're writing it down. Some of you write down what I say. I, I, I don't know why you do that. Writing down what Jesus was saying. You're, you're trying to get it. You're trying to understand it. You're trying to fathom it. You're trying to mull it over in your heart. You're, 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 you're processing the implications of what he's saying. You're, you're enamored with his love. You're, you're, you're enamored with his sense of compassion. You just want to get closer to him. And three days goes by and people are getting closer and people are, you're watching these miraculous things happen and people being healed and, and being cared for. And, you're, and you stick around for three days and you're just famished and you just, you forgot. Jesus didn't forget because he sees the whole you. He sees every part of your need. Nothing, nothing escapes his gaze about you, about me. Nothing. You pray fervently. You pray, you pray, you pray. There's sometimes you pray and you're wondering, is God listening? Does God know? Don't let me forget. You know, when I was a kid, I always wanted to make sure I didn't forget anything when I prayed. Because I was operating with a child like mine that if I don't tell him, he won't know. Because that's the way it worked with mom and dad. It's the way it worked with Kate. Mom and dad, I lost a tooth. Be sure to tell the tooth fairy. Put money under my pillow. Days go by. She leaves a note on my pillow when she went to bed. Don't forget to tell the tooth fairy. Because if you don't tell, we're going to forget. And we did. But God, nothing escapes his gaze in your life and what you need and what is best for you, and what he wants for you, and what you want for you. Nothing. Because he's interested in the whole package of you. That's how expansive his compassion is. It's a holistic change in every part of life. That's why his people, that's why the church can be a part of holistic change in a culture. Not just interested in spiritual things, not just interested in psychological, you know, um, overcoming guilt and fear and depression, but can, be, can, can help ho- overcome holistic, holistic changes that relates to physical, financial, cultural, ethnic all the way across that God's people are him God's people are little Jesuses running around doing the holistic thing for his world because he has that kind of compassion but people don't get it people don't get it because when because he does this he does this miracle and then uh, and then our favorite people show up the bean counters the religious bean counters oh Jesus Let's see what we can do. <sighs> Let's test this guy. Give us a sign. 
Now, I don't... <sighs> my pa I lose patience with Pharisees. Um, and it's because they are just obtuse. And what do you mean by... You know what I mean when I say obtuse? It means... I remember Tyler when he was when he first he read a he read a review, he read he read a review of the book uh, Lord of the Rings when he was a kid. I don't know how old he was. Was he eleven? And he comes into the kitchen having read the review of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings series. He had just he had finished reading it, so he's reading a view of it, and he comes in and he's he's got this review. You know, and he says to me, he says to, to whoever was in the kitchen at the time, I cannot believe how obtuse this reviewer is. Obtuse. And what he meant was, how does someone not see the obvious thing when it's right there in front of you? When I see the Pharisees, they come into Jesus and they go, and, he's, and, he's, and, and they say to Jesus, after having just done a sign just done a miraculous thing, feeding 4,000 people after having fed 5,000 people, after having cured a dumb and, uh, and, mute, uh, a dumb and deaf man not, not too long before. And the Pharisees go, give us a sign. Do a little trick for us, Jesus. And then we'll know who you are. Then we'll know what we can believe in. And then there's that, then, then Mark says, and then Jesus gave a deep sigh. Has anything good ever followed a deep sigh? <laughs> Nothing in my life's ever been. No, my parents, my wife, my children. The deep sigh has always been followed by some dramatic conclusion. And in the life of Jesus, he says, why are you constantly asking for a sign? What, he, what, what he's getting at is, if you're asking for more from Jesus, that's what a sign, that's what they wanted. They wanted more. They wanted something better, different, more dramatic. What they're, what they're saying, if you are asking for more from perfection, what it means is you're trying to fit perfection into your paradigm rather than fitting your paradigm into perfection. When you're asking for more signs, when you're asking for more evidence, you're, what you're saying to God is, I don't quite get you. I don't quite understand. You're not quite fitting into my package, uh, into, my, into my understanding of things, into my, into my grid. Can you do something so that maybe it'll fit into my grid? And we do this. You do this. You do this with the people that you love. You do this with your spouse. I do this. Becky and I refer to it as script writing. Script writing. You're like a script for like a show or for like a, a program that you're you know that you're watching. You know, um, and it's and it's the thing that actors follow, so that they can get the words right to per, to move the scene along. But if you script write in a relationship. That can be dangerous because the person that you're in love with, the person that you're living with, the person that you're friends with, the person in your life, what, 
what they, they don't have your script. They don't know what the script is. They're just living their lives, and they're just trying to be spontaneously true to their, to their love and their, and their hope and the, and the circumstances. But if you're writing a script, you're saying, unless you say the words this way, with this kind of timing and with this kind of emphasis, I don't understand what you're saying. It doesn't fit. How could you love me if you didn't say it this way? How could you love me if you didn't do it this way? And that's us trying to, trying to get other people to fit into my paradigm. It's not loving. It's not a relationship. There's no freedom in it. There's no, and there's ultimately no power and there's no miracle in the whole thing. Nothing blossoms out of that kind of script writing, out of that kind of situation. And what Jesus is saying, I'm not going to operate on your script. I'm not going to give you the sign because, because I've given you... Thousands of signs. I've been here three days. And you're not getting me. You're not getting what I'm saying. And I'm not and a sign. I'm not going to be able to contort myself to you and to your mold. The whole goal here, the whole reason I'm here is because your mold is broken. Thank you. I was actually going to ask you to say it with me, but we're, that's okay. But we're, 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 that's right. We're, we're Presbyterian and we don't do that sort of thing. Wouldn't it be great if we could though? Because your mold's broken. You don't need me. You don't need a sign that conforms to your mold. You need a new mold. That's what I've come to be. That's what I've come to do for you. And, it, and he says that that's the leaven of the Pharisees. It only takes a small piece of that to infect the entire loaf. You get that small little sense, that small little, there's a little bit of leaven gets in the hole. It's a systemic problem. And if you have that little bit of, that little bit of sort of uh, mentality, it will, it will systemically infect everything. And then Jesus is telling them this in the boat. They're, they're contemplating this. this. This shows you the Pharisees aren't getting it. Well, well, the disciples must get it. He says, be careful of that kind of thinking. Be careful of, be careful of, of trying to fit me into your paradigm. That's the leaven of the Pharisees. That's the leaven of what people try to do. They try to turn me into something that fits their script. And, and the disciples go, is he upset we didn't bring any bread? I almost, wondered, I almost was waiting for Mark to insert another, and there was a deep sigh. <laughs> didn't quite have a, that wasn't in there, but there's a little more in there because Jesus does a little more than deep sigh there. He kind of looks to his disciples and says, do you have eyes you can't see? Your ears you can't hear? Do you not get it? Are you not hearing me? What's going on? Are you not? You, all right. 5,000 people, what happened then? 4,000 people, what happened then? How many loaves were left over? How many did we start with? How many left over? How many did we start with? How many were left over? It's like, I'm, I'm, it's like my Aunt Vicky and me at the, at the dining room table. <laughs> That's Jesus. 
walking them down the road again and saying, you think this issue with the, you think me mentioning yeast is about, is about bread? Is it, and I, you think I'm upset, you think I'm bringing this up because I'm upset you don't have any bread? How obtuse! Because it's not about the, it's not about that they didn't do the right thing, that they didn't get it right. Jesus is trying to get at a spiritual problem. He's trying to get at the, at the conditional heart. And this is why, this is why, because Jesus is concerned for the holistic nature of who we are, some of what he's concerned about is physical. Yes, bread. But, but a lot of what he's concerned about is not physical. It's emotional, spiritual, psychological, relational, conceptual, paradigms. There's a lot in there that Jesus is concerned about. And he's, talk, he's trying to get the disciples to see the whole spectrum, to see the whole picture, and to learn to discern what, are we, what, are, what changes, what is, how does the gospel relate to all the places of our lives, but they're blind to it. And so are you. And so were you. The word, you know, I, I, I was listening to a, a pastor preach on this passage once, and he said, uh, he says, he thinks the worst part about sin is that it makes us blind to our blind spots. We're blind. Sin blinds us. The, one of the, the Bible talks about sin uh, putting us in a prison, making us lost, breaking us, but it also says that sin blinds us and that we're blind to the fact that we're blind. We think we get it, and we, th and we're, and we think we get Jesus. Here's what, you need to, here's what you need to hear, hopefully, and I'll say it again, so if you don't get it today, we'll get it another day. <laughs> you don't get Jesus. You don't get him. Nobody gets Jesus. I don't mean to suggest that you can't understand him, you can't have a relationship with him, that you don't understand him enough to give your life to him, that you don't understand enough of him to trust him. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that if you think you, if, if you get the impression that because you know him and have been forgiven by him and you're in a relationship with him and that you, and that you get enough of him to understand his perfection and his work at the cross because... Uh, to believe in Christ is, re requires only a child's faith. It's that simple. But it's complex because Jesus is infinite perfection. Jesus is an infinite, complex God. He is beyond our understanding. He is an ocean of knowledge, and we are a thimble brain. So we cannot ever have the impression that because my thimble is full of the ocean that I understand the ocean. No one understands. No one gets Jesus. There are people who think they get what he's after. They think they, there are people who think they get what he wants for his, for his world, for his church, for his people. And we get a piece of it. We don't get all of it because we're blind to what we don't get. And we think we see Jesus. Jesus is about mercy. Jesus is about compassion. Jesus is about caring for the food and the physicality of people's needs. And you, yeah. Yeah, but that isn't, that isn't even a thimble's level of what he's after. And if you walk around thinking that that thimble level understanding of Jesus is enough, to, is enough to sort of critique what other people are seeing with Jesus and to go, oh, you don't understand Jesus. Well, then you're blind to your blindness. 
And what that should make us is very, what that should lead us to is humility. It should lead us, the fact that we're blind to our blindness should make us humble. Um, when, I was, uh, when I was a youth pastor, um, we, did, we, we did crazy youth games. And one of the youth games that we, did, that we played was one, we, we, get, we brought up teams of two. Excuse me. We brought up teams of two. I think it was four teams of two, and I put one team of two in each corner of the space. Excuse me. And the goal was to have one of the, two, one of the people in the team of two walk to the other corner at the same time as everyone else was walking to the other corner. But that person was blindfolded. And that person, the way that they would go from one corner to the other corner, the way all the people were going from one corner to the other corner, was to be listening to their teammate in the corner, giving them instructions to get to the other side. So they'd listen and then move. Um, how do you imagine that game looked in your, when I'm describing it, how do you imagine that game looked when we started? So we had everybody, blindfolds were on, teams were together, and I said, okay, ready, set, go! How do you think that looked? Well, all of the people with blindfolds on, they're very cautious. They took steps like this. Because they were blind. The people who could see were yelling. No! Go straight! Go straight! Go fast! You can go straight and fast now! Go now! Left. I said left. No, the other side left. Not you. Not you. I'm talking to him. Yeah. We're blind. And Jesus is whispering in our ears because has compassion for us. And blindness makes you, makes you cautious a little, makes you tender, makes you careful, not strident, not like, I got this. Pharisees felt like they got this. I got this. I just need Jesus to give me a little extra hint, fit it in. I'm doing okay. The disciples, yeah, we get this. He's concerned about we didn't have any bread. No, not that part now. That was a minute ago. We had the bread. We had dinner. Now I want you to draw a deeper lesson about the condition of your heart. That's why, that's why he's come. That's why he gives us his spirit. That's why he never, it seems like he never wearies. He never wearies of the next lesson until one day when we will get him and we'll be with him. The next 
every part of our lives is the next opportunity to see him and understand him in a new way. Endlessly patient. Endlessly gentle. Never broke a bruised reed. Never snuffed out a smoldering wick, the Bible says. Kind. Because he has compassion for you. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you were willing to be snuffed out, that you were willing to be broken for us so that you could have endless compassion for the whole person that we are. Lord, make us aware of our blindness. Make us aware of how blind we are to our blindness, that it might humble us and make us willing to learn the lessons to see the truths about who you are rather than fit you into the paradigm of our lives. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray.